we're going. That is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, global, and apostolic church. We believe in the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in water baptism. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're here in the room or online with us. If you have a copy of the scriptures, join me in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute. If you want to follow along digitally and you've got your cell phone with you, uh, your smartphone, you can scan the QR code on the screen and it'll pull up a website where you can follow along with the notes and the scriptures and uh, stay, stay connected. While you're turning to Matthew 5, I want to uh, kind of highlight a couple things. Number one, uh, summer school is getting ready to get started. We've never done this before. We're going to really lean into a couple different topics this summer, five weeks in a row. Really want to encourage you to make them a priority and join us as we lean in um, into some discipleship, some learning, some growing, and our understanding. And uh, you can find those informations on our central hub or stop by the kiosks and the next steps folks out in the lobby they'll help answer some questions to get you signed up and then the second thing is alpha connect for youth and uh, kind of college so it's for high school and college age students um, if you know a teenager in high school or someone in college this is for them on monday nights uh, starting uh, in uh, june 9th and so june 6th june 6th not june 9th it's june 6th that's the that's the Monday, uh, June 6th, not 9th, it's the 6th. And I uh, want to make sure that you get them signed up for that. It is really powerful. It's going to be a great time of community, learning, asking good questions. No question is off limits. And uh, I hear they're going to have some amazing food. So just saying, sounds like fun. Matthew chapter 5, we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew as we're looking for the truth of what is the King Jesus gospel. What does it mean to follow Jesus as king and to be a part of his kingdom? And Jesus is teaching and giving us a new way to be human, showing us what it looks like to follow him, showing us what it looks like to be his disciples, showing us what it looks like to be believers, to be Christians. And he's presenting this way to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. This is, this is what the scriptures say. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And don't say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't even turn one of your own hairs white or black. Just a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this, don't miss this, is from the evil one. Let's pray. Jesus, these are your words. They are true. 
Help us to believe them and live them. Amen. I don't know about you, but I think we have a tendency, I have a tendency, to whenever I see kind of a rule or a law, to try to create a loophole around it. To, to adhere to it just enough that I don't get in trouble, but maybe not fully adhere to it all the way in all the ways it was meant to be adhered to. There might be policies at, at your workplace, and uh, you know there are certain policies, and I'm going to live by those policies, but I'm going to find the line just enough to not really abide by the policy, but kind of abide by the policy, just enough that I don't get in trouble, but still loose enough that I get to be expressive in my own person and do it my own way because I have a problem with authority. I didn't say that. I'm just, for instance, maybe that would be the case. We have a tendency to look for these loopholes. And we often look at certain things, expectations, standards in our life, and we look at them and be like, I don't really feel like doing that. And we start living based on our feelings to try to adjust or manufacture to create these loopholes to go around them. And what we don't uh, realize is that when we look for the loopholes, we're actually lowering the standard. And when you lower the standard, you lose the opportunity to develop strength that you were meant to have. Let me break it down for you like this. When I was in elementary school, we did this standardized testing in physical education known as the presidential fitness. And there were certain metrics that you were supposed to hit and be able to do like, like everybody needed to be able to run a mile without stopping or meet it by a certain time. And, and, and the reality is that um, if you were to, to lower the standard and say, well, the standard is to run a mile, but if you want to crawl the mile, that's okay. Or if you only want to go half a mile, we'll call it a mile. And we'll just act like it was a mile. No. You can't run a 100-yard dash in a 90-yard gym. It'll take you a minute. It'll take you a minute. You can't do it. It's not that the standard is meant to bring shame to the people who can't meet the standard. Don't miss this. It's that in lowering the standard, we lose out on the strength of what it would look like if we hit the standard. If we continue to lower standards in our life, we now lower the opportunity to develop the strength that we need to actually live the life that God has called you to live. So if you are continually creating loopholes around the things that God says are his standards... You are lowering yourself to a place to not have the strength of faith to live the life called the Christian life of following Jesus. It's not meant to produce shame in you. It's meant to help develop strength in you. Processing, processing, processing. And we have to be careful because Jesus was coming on the scene and talking to people who like to create loopholes around the law. Jesus was not diminishing the letter of the law. Rather, he was coming around and reminding us of the spirit, the principle, the reason behind the law and asking us to abide by that thing. Essentially, Jesus was coming to them and saying, hey, listen, here's the law. I know you've been creating loopholes around the law and you're trying to like live up to it but not live up to it and, and really you want to uh, act like you submit to God but really you just want to submit to yourself and act like you're your own God. And, and Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've heard all these things, you've heard all these things, but I say this. And at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus, here's, here's what it looks like. What did Jesus say to do? 
Not what do you feel like doing in the moment? Not what do you feel is true about a certain situation or topic or cultural reality? Not what do you feel about those things, but what did Jesus say about those things? About a year ago, we uh, talked uh, uh, along some, some of these similar lines, and we gave out these, like, what would Jesus do bracelets? Kind of as a fun throwback, uh, kicking it a little old school Christian style. And we gave these out, and it, so many of you have worn it's been over a year now, I think, uh, really close to that, that we gave those out. And the whole idea was that they would be a visual prompt to us to remind us, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Is Jesus Lord in my life or am I Lord in my life? Am I going to live according to what he said or what I wanted him to say? Am I going to live my life according to my own standard or am I going to live it according to the standard of the world around me? Or am I going to live based on what Jesus said and what he asked me to do? What is it that Jesus would do in this moment? And as followers of Jesus, this is the, the bringing about those things. And when Jesus is talking, he's reminding us of the importance of our vows, and he's reminding us of the importance of a few things. And we just learned last week that vows were important because vows were the basis of a covenant known as marriage. And it was important to understand that relationships in the kingdom of God and the principle behind those laws that we looked at last week was the very fact that covenants are important to God. They're a big deal. And covenants are simply this. Uh, I want you to think about it in this way. Covenants are strong bonds that are built upon your vows. Covenants in the Bible and our understanding coming to God, these are strong bonds that are built upon vows, oaths, commitments, pledges that we make. And in biblical understanding, we want to live in covenant with God, we want to live in a way where our commitment, our pledge, our allegiance, our faith, our fidelity, our commitment is to Jesus and his kingdom. See, human vows and human oaths and things that we say and do are counterfeit to the covenant that God created. Think of it like this. Everything that God created, Satan comes along and tries to create a counterfeit of. Okay? Uh, God created something that was good. Satan comes along and tries to counterfeit it and, and, and turn it into something that isn't as good, isn't as true, isn't as real. God is known as the father of truth. Satan is known as the father of lies. He's still trying to be like God, but he's doing it in all the wrong ways. It's a counterfeit. And Jesus comes along and God comes along and it says, hey, we're going to, here at the end of service, we're going to take communion. Communion is a sign, a symbol, a reminding act that we do of the covenant that Jesus made with us. A commitment, an oath that he invites us into, this bond that we have with Father, Son, and Spirit. And God makes a holy covenant vow within himself Satan comes, counterfeits it, and tries to get us to make a vow within ourselves. And so what Jesus is saying in this text, he's saying, you're, we're walking along and you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I swear on my mother's grave, I'm going to. Well, I, I promise, I promise on everything that is holy that I will X, Y, or Z. 
And, and so the people in Jesus' day were no different. They were trying to make pledges, trying to make oaths, trying to, to build commitments. And they were like, well, well, I can't do it on God, so we're not going to swear to God because we all know that's going to send you straight to hell. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to uh, buy by the stars in the heavens. Oh, by Jerusalem. Well, okay, that's a little too close to holy things, and that's where the king lives, and so we don't really want to profane that, and we don't want to be disrespectful of the symbol of the public authority of our day, and so we're not going to swear on that. We're not going to make an oath on that. We're not going to pledge our allegiance in that way. We're, we're going to do it just, just, just by the, the hairs of my own head. I promise, I promise, I promise, crisscross my heart and hope to... Yeah, and we make these oaths and these pledges, and Jesus is saying, you guys, are, you guys are missing the whole point of what this looks like, the whole point of these covenants and vows. And, and Jesus is actually, in this text, addressing two very, very important truths. The first truth he's addressing is the issue of holy living. The second truth that he's addressing is the issue of holy authority. And he's actually throwing back and using some language, phrases, some truncated summaries of passages found in Leviticus 19 and of the passage found in Numbers chapter 30. He's throwing back and using phrases from these passages of these, these laws, part of God's law that he gave to his people on how to be human, on how to be a civilization, on how to honor God and live for him. He's using this language and throwing back, reaching back, using some of the language from the text here and reminding them of these oaths, of these truths and expounding on them so they don't limit what he's doing, so they don't limit their life of God. They don't try to find loopholes around it, but rather they can live to the standard of the life that God has called them to live. Because at the end of the day, Jesus wants you to live in the strength of him. And you can't live in the strength of Jesus when you're living in the strength of yourself. And you can't live in the strength of God if you never acknowledge your weakness before God. Because Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul rather said it like this, when you are weak, then God can be strong. And for many of us, we are unwilling to acknowledge weakness in areas of our life. Therefore, we have yet to experience God's strength in that area of our life. And for many of us, we are still holding on to the fact that we're strong in our own self. But friend, I just need to let you know, your strength is still weak compared to God's strength. And you need the strength of God to live out the life that God has called you to live. And these oaths and these bonds and this understanding of holy living and holy authority really comes down to this understanding of a strength of our faith. Let's talk about holy living just for a second. In Leviticus 19, you would find things where uh, it's kind of like a remix of the Ten Commandments. Like, don't steal, don't lie, uh, don't bear false witness, don't cheat, uh, do this with your crops, don't do this with your crops, uh, treat these people this way, be kind in this way, and don't take the name of the Lord in vain, swearing an oath in the wrong way. And so this idea of making oaths is actually linked and a throwback to thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this is what Jesus is referring to. See, taking the name of the Lord in vain is a broad meaning of many things. But what we have done is we have narrowed it down to mean one thing. 
we think that taking the name of the Lord in vain means not swearing in vulgarities with the Lord's name attached to it. Uh, I, last year at some time I was playing in a golf tournament and uh, it is uh, quite normal for people uh, on the golf course to let certain things fly out of their mouth that are less than holy. Not me, mind you. <laughs> Other people. I happened to be playing with this guy, and, and he was playing terrible. And uh, he was hitting the ball everywhere. And at one point, he said, God, and he just let out an expletive. And I said, I'm not sure God had anything to do with that golf shot. <laughs> now, I, as a general rule, may I just say, it's really probably not advisable to attach God's name to your cursing. And I would agree. It's probably not a good idea. But it actually means so much more than that. See, taking the name of the Lord in vain, if you look at the original language in the Hebrew, here's literally what God is reminding his people. I am putting my name on you. Represent it well. Don't be a bad brand of follower of Jesus. Don't make it look bad for the brand. Don't bring disgrace to the name of God because of the way you're living. It's a call to holy living. See, God has put his name on us, and we are to act and represent God in our lives correctly, not incorrectly. One of the ways that you would act incorrectly representing God in the world is if you were a liar. To tell a lie is to misrepresent the character of God as someone who is identifying yourself as a person of God. And this holy living is what God is calling us to. It's this understanding of having honesty as a part of holy living. That's why you just need to say a simple yes or a simple no. You don't need to dress it up with all of these other, no, 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 I swear I will, I will, I will, I will, I promise I will, I will. Just be honest. If you were an honest person, you wouldn't need to tell people all the time, now, now, can I just tell you the truth for a minute? Like, you wouldn't need to say that phrase. Now imagine just for a second, let me kind of break it down as to what would maybe happen in their day and age and see if you can see the parallels in our day and age. Let's just say you lived in uh, Jesus' day and you owned a farm and you had some goats on your farm. And your land butted up to your neighbor's land who didn't really like you for some reason. They, maybe, maybe they thought you had too many goats. Maybe you didn't pick up. Maybe your kids ran wild way late at night and you kept them up at night. I, I don't know why, but they don't really like you. And you're pretty confident they don't like you. But they ha you have goats and they have some crops. And uh, they, they've told you a number of times, hey, I caught your goat eating my crops. You better keep your goats on their side of the land or else pal and you're like or else what buddy and you just kind of don't like each other and the tension is there and one morning you go out to your fields and you look and you see one of your goats is dead it's laying dead along the boundary line of your land and their land and you're like uh-huh i know exactly what happened my neighbor miss miss I'm, we're gonna i was gonna say a karen name because that's a fun thing to say these days karen is not all happy about my goats And I know exactly what happened. And you are like, I know exactly. And so you go to the authorities of your land, of your, of your area. You go to the municipalities and say, excuse me, I have a complaint to file. Karen killed my goat. 
oh, they did. I'm so sorry you lost a goat. How, how do you know? I promise Karen killed my goat. I saw Karen kill my goat. I swear on my mother's grave I saw Karen kill my goat. But you actually don't have proof. It's not actually true. And you are using manipulative, exaggerative language to carefully curate what someone else thinks to be true about you. You are doing everything you can to persuade other people to believe something about you or a situation that may or not actually be true. And so you're using all of the powers. I promise I'm on, I cross my heart and hope to get, no, I, they, they did it. I saw them. I know they did it. They were always, they've been after me forever. Karen's always doing weird things and always giving me dirty lurks. I swear it was them. And we're using all of this extra language to convince someone else of something we're still trying to convince ourselves is true too. Of a life that we I promise you, that's not me. I, I would never do that. That's not who I am. And we're constantly, hear, hear me, part of this taking the names of the Lord, part of holy living, part of not making oaths and swearing on things is choosing not to manipulate, lie, or create spin to cause someone to think something less than true about you, less than true about a situation less than true about who you really are. Because what we're really doing is we're hiding in shame because we continue to not meet the standard of God. And God doesn't want us to hide in shame. But we are using our words and our language to create a picture about someone else, something else, or even ourselves to present a picture of ourselves that is not authentic or true. We do this online all the time, social media. And, and this is super dangerous for young people, and the statistics are exaggeratedly, uh, not exaggerated, the statistics are, are, are super concerning, especially as it relates to young girls, where we have, where rates of depression and anxiety, cyberbullying, body image issues, all being curated and formed because of a world online in which people can carefully filter and curate and pose and create options of what people think about them, see about them, present about them that isn't true. In other words, we're living a false self. Friends, I want you to hear me very, very clearly. So many of us live with this struggle of trying to present ourselves to be something that we're really not. Someone needs to hear this today. God doesn't love the you who you pretend to be. God loves who he knows you to be. So stop hiding and pretending and come to your father. 
God doesn't love the you that you're pretending everyone else to know about you, how happy your marriage is, how wonderful you are, how put together your life is, how, how holy you are and righteous you are and aware of God's word that you are. God doesn't love the you you're pretending to be friends. God loves the you he already knows is true about you, but you have yet to come to grips with is true about you. That's the person God's love wants to transform and change. In our Christian world, we do this all the time. We kind of carefully curate some things. I'm going to step on some toes. This is going to be fun. Uh, here's how it sounds in Christian world, right? Like, like when we're, we're, we're carefully creating a, a, a spiritual persona. Well, I really feel like what God wants me to do is, I've prayed about this and I just, you know, yeah, I think this is what, what, what I want to do, what, what I think God wants me to do. And we use God's name as a cover for decisions that we don't want to fully own. I really feel like I need to go to another church. I really feel like God's leading me somewhere else. Pro probably not. You're really probably upset and offended and don't really want to deal with the issue. And so you're just going to say, I feel, and put it on God, but it's really your decision and you're not willing to own it yet. Oh, I've been really praying about this. No, you've probably just been sitting there worrying about it for a long time. And you don't know what else to do. And you don't really want to ask for advice or get vulnerable with anybody else to speak into your life. So you're just going to say, I've been praying about this for a while. And I really feel like, this. no, you didn't really pray. You worried for a long, long time. You thought about praying, but you never actually prayed. And we do this in Christian world all the time, trying to cover up decisions and lifestyles and choices and we use it to hide behind God. Quit taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's not God. That's you. Own it. And that's not a problem if we'll own it. God can't heal the you you're pretending to be. He only can heal the you that you come to him and reveal and submit to. Like, like that's who God's trying to heal and help. You don't need to pretend. But we think that we do. Why? Because we're so controlled by shame. We are hiding. And God is trying to get us to lead a different way. Listen, do I think that God leads us and speaks to us and he wants to guide us? Absolutely. I've worked really hard in my life. I don't, I don't know that I hit it all the time because I'm just as prone to carefully curate an image and a perception for people as anyone else is. Like, I, I'm fully aware of this. I'm speaking to you from a place of weakness today, not a place of having it all together. But I want you to understand, oh man, I got to hurry. I want you to understand though that, that when you, you say like, I, I feel like God has led me, you can say God is leading me to do this if number one, you have heard from God. Number two, you have heard and seen it revealed in scripture. Number three, you've given it plenty of time, at least a month to let it sit and marinate to see if God has discerned something different. And number four, you've actually talked to somebody of a spiritual authority who has permission to tell you you're being an idiot and don't make the decision that's stupid. If you've done all of those things, then by all means say the Lord is leading me to do this. But most of the time we avoid community, we avoid being helpful, we avoid actually leaning in, and we just pretend like God is leading us, and God has never led us. That was us, but yet we're blaming it on God. And Jesus is saying, would you just let your yes be yes and your no be no? Does God want to lead you? 100%. But Allegiance to Jesus requires your authenticity. 
The idea here is our allegiance, our faith, our pledge to Jesus requires us to be authentic, to be authentically us coming to him and being honest. Holiness and this idea of holy living is the idea of being set apart. Not set apart for difference sake, but set apart for the sake of being the image of Jesus clearly to the world around you. Holiness is not found in hiding. Holiness requires transparency in personal conduct. Holiness is separate, but not for the sake of being separate. It's for the relationship's sake with Jesus. Holiness is a separation for special news, not holiness for self-righteousness. In other words, I think we get it wrong. We talk about holiness as if, like, we've earned something. No, holiness is not self-righteously looking, oh, my life is so together. Look how terrible those other people are. (laughs) That's how we've acted holiness was in the church for so long. Holiness isn't self-righteous. Holiness is being set apart. So that in my weakness, God's strength can show up. So that in the moment when I'm strong, I recognize God is still stronger and it's him who I'm alleged. I've given my allegiance to, not me. First Peter chapter 2 says it like this. But you're not like that. Oh no, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Not your goodness, not your good deeds, not how awesome you are, how put together you are, not so that you can pretend like life is perfect and your world is oh so awesome and you're the standard of all holy things. No, it's so that people can see the goodness of God in your life. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, oh, but now you have received the mercy of God. Dear friends, I warn you, you are temporary residents and foreigners in the earth. Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors among all the Karens in your life then if they accuse you of doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world I'm gonna stop right there what is, what is Peter trying to communicate? Remember, you're a holy person. You're holy because God made you holy. You're not holy because you're holy. You're holy because God is holy and you live in God. You live in Christ. And because you are a holy person, live in such a way that when people try to accuse you of doing something that you didn't do, you don't have to lie or I swear it wasn't me or I promise this. You can just simply say, no, it wasn't me. And your history of living a holy life will be the evidence that the world around you needs to know, yeah, that's not their character. That's not who they are. That, you must be misinformed or un, not true. And God will defend you because you are living according to his standard and his strength instead of your own. You don't need to swear, or, I promise, or this. No, 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 I just, this is who I am. My life has been holy. But when we don't feel like we've done that, you know what we do? We hide and we create all the personas around us as spiritual and holy and right and I'm this and I'm that. And God's like, yeah, you know, 
let me know when you finish pretending and then we can start moving forward with your relationship with me. The other way that we have strength to live out our faith is not just understanding the standard of the holy living that God wants, but we understand that we get strength to live the life that God has called us to when we live under the authority that God has. And this is where he's talking about holy authority. This is the other side of this oath that he's making. Now, when we're talking about holy authority, I want to introduce a, a, a phrase to you known as inner vows. Inner vows. Inner vows are are this. They are unholy commitments that we turn inward that solely rely on our authority and reject God's sovereign reign in that area of our life. Promises that we make to ourselves that rely on our authority and sovereignty in our life to make them happen. This is what an inner vow looks like. Have you ever uh, had your kids make a commitment with a friend or promise to do something, and you had to go in and be like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know my son promised to give you $20 for this micro machine toy, uh, but that toy is not worth $20. He's welcome. You're welcome to trade something, but he's not giving you $20. I know he promised that he would do that, but he's not going to be able to do that. Any parents in the room know what I'm talking about? Like, like that your kids often will write a check with their mouth that their body doesn't have the authority to back up or cash. You know what I'm saying? Some of you do that too. You write checks with your mouth that your body can't cash and back up either. See, when it comes to covenants and oaths, you have to recognize who has the authority to carry out the commitment. In our nation, in our land, we have this understanding uh, when you get on, uh, when you're testifying in the court of law, you place your hand on the Bible and say, do you promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, me? No, you're not making an oath based on your promise to tell the truth. You're making an oath based on the promise of someone who is sovereign and higher and has more authority than you do. Which is what is required for an oath or a commitment to actually follow through. In Numbers chapter 30, You see this all listed out, right? Saying who has the authority to make an oath, a covenant, and who who has the authority to come in and forgive that and remove it and say, no, 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 this commitment is now null and void. Friends, I have yet to meet anyone who has given their life to Jesus who hasn't made inner vows that need to be broken in their life. We all do it. We all make oaths and commitments to where we say we're the guarantor of it. But friends, when we come to Jesus, our life is not our own. We submit to his authority. And he's the one who says yes or no in our lives. This is why James says, Don't say, I'm going to do this tomorrow, and I'm going to do that tomorrow. Just say, I'm going to do this if the Lord wills it. Lord willing, this is what I'm going to do. Why? James is trying to remind you that you don't call the shots in your life, but Jesus is Lord in your life. And I want to do this. I'm intending to do this, but my commitment isn't to this thing. My commitment is ultimately to Jesus. 
And if Jesus allows it and Jesus leads me to do it and I'm able to do that tomorrow, I will absolutely be happy to do it. But my life is not my own. I'm living submitted to Jesus. James is giving us practical advice to not make oaths and requirements and inner vows. The good news is if you have made an inner vow, if you have made an oath, Jesus has the authority to break it and set you free. See, see, what happens when we focus our commitments inwards is they become this inner vow. And most of the time we make inner vows in moments of our deepest pain. Where we've been hurt the most. We try to protect ourselves and we make vows unto ourselves. Let me give you an example. Let's say a young boy hears his mom say, I'm leaving, I'm divorcing your dad. But he doesn't know how to express or articulate what he feels. And the enemy is there and kind of whispers to him, see, you can't trust women, they'll all leave you. And he doesn't know how to process it and he's deeply wounded and full of pain and so he begins to build up a wall. He grows up, a beautiful girl likes him in college, wants to grow in a relationship with her, but there is this wall and for whatever reason he can't seem to commit. There's no real intimacy. They can't really get close. And she doesn't know why, and he doesn't know why. And so she's really struggling and can't handle it and can't see fine. You can't commit. You obviously can't really cut it. Your, things aren't working. I'm gone. And she breaks off the relationship. And he thinks to himself, my heart is broken. See, women can't be trusted. They all leave. And he makes a vow, I'll never trust her and he now proceeds to live his life taking advantage of women, being a sexual predator, just playing the dating scene, hookup culture. That's his life. That's his life. So he's just going to keep going again and again. And this cycle continues to repeat itself again and again and again, all because he built a wall and never gets to experience real intimacy because he made a vow to himself never to get hurt by another woman again. And broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship tries to figure out what is wrong with me. Must be everyone else. There are no good women left in the world, he says to himself. And actually, it's just he's bound by a vow that he's made that he didn't have the authority to carry out. And he's never given it to God to heal. And so he's left up to his own sovereignty in the process. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe your inner vow was, I'll never believe anyone again. They're all liars. And you build a wall and it creates friction. Most likely there was a painful event in your life. And you made a vow to yourself never to. And you felt trapped and bound by that same thing, even to this day. It happens when we're young kids. We, we make inner vows as young children, and they become unconscious habits. Maybe you got in trouble as a kid for telling the truth to your parent, and somewhere along the way it says, I can't trust authorities. People who are in charge don't need to know the truth. They just need to know what I want them to know. And we, as a, as a child, you begin unconsciously becoming a pathological liar without even knowing it. Because somewhere you got hurt because you told the truth. Maybe as a kid, you, uh, you realized you could get away with stuff if you were charismatic, sweet, kind, funny. 
and you just allow your charisma to kind of manipulate the situation, and you think, I can get myself in and out of trouble, and so you just live on charisma, a persona, and you live your entire life trying to make other people laugh, easing the pain of life, being more and more sarcastic as we go, and as cute and charming as ever. But as an adult, you continue to do it, but you don't have real relationships because you've made this inner vow inside of you. We've been hurt deeply, friends. Maybe for you, the, the oath looks something like someone you love was about to die. And you made a promise. The inheritance that they gave me, I won't squander it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it exactly like granddaddy did it. And you have found yourself bitter and bound by what was meant to be a blessing in your life because you made a promise to somebody and they would turn over in their grave if they ever saw you X, Y, or Z. And God wants to set you free from that. Some of you are bound by things that people have said years ago. And in that area of your life, you're acting with sovereignty and you've never surrendered it to Jesus' lordship. And he wants to set you free. Friends, instead of walking under our own human autonomy and control, we need to submit and walk under the holy authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life. See, allegiance to Jesus requires submitting to his authority. First Peter 3 says, now Christ has gone to heaven. He's seated in the places of honor. All the angels, all the authorities, read all the demons in the world, accept his authority. Friends, we need to join in and allow Jesus to be the authority in our lives in every area of our life. Even the moments of our deepest pain. Somewhere along the way, we make these vows. You might be sitting there, Pastor, how do I know if I've made an inner vow? Where do you get angry? Where are you most insecure and afraid? What are the places you don't want anybody to know and you're continually hiding behind? It's likely there's an inner vow somewhere there that you are bound to and tethered to and can't get beyond. But through the power of Jesus, you can be free. Friends, allegiance to Jesus requires that we live authentic and surrendered lives, not excusing our faults, but repenting from them and submitting to Jesus' authority. This is what we are called to do, friends. I told you the standard testing at the beginning of the, when I was in fifth grade, we did standardized testing, and uh, I couldn't do a pull-up. Killed everybody with sit-ups, ran one of the fastest miles in my class. Could do all sorts of things, but I couldn't do a pull-up. And I remember fifth grade hanging on the post, trying my skinny little bony arms, trying desperately to do a pull-up. Everyone starts to laugh. I begin to weep. And in that moment, I made a vow. Never to work out in front of people and let them see how weak I really am. So I've lived my whole life just, look at how fast I am. Look at how good I am at this. Look at how good I am over here and never addressing other areas of weakness in my life. Feeling insecure about physical things, 
all because a moment of pain met by a lie from the enemy. See, you can't trust people. And started living in shame in an area of my life. That until several years ago, I never really dealt with. When I submitted it and I allowed Jesus to break that vow, he set me free. Jesus can set you free. The insecurity, the pain, the fear, the thing that you're hiding behind, Jesus can set you free. How does he set you free? You bring it to him and say, Jesus, I want your authority in this area, not my own. Would you break this vow off my life? I surrender to you in this area, Jesus. And he does because he has the authority to do it. Would you stand as we come to the table of the Lord? If you have your communion elements with you, I invite you to go ahead and begin opening those up. If you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member here or not, we welcome you to partake of communion with us. You can open it up and get the bread out and flip it over and get the juice open and just hold on to them together. We'll, we'll partake in just a second. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes once your elements are opened and just taking a minute before the Lord asking, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Are there areas where I've been hiding and I need to be authentic? Have I, have I been living a lie in some area and I just need to be honest? Have I been trying to manipulate other people's opinion, using words, even Christian lingo? And I know I need to, to repent. Just be honest. Are there areas of deep pain? And you're reminded of some things right now, some vows maybe that you've made things that you can't seem to overcome in your life and you keep coming up and running against the same thing again and again and again, keep getting angry, keep feeling afraid, keep feeling insecure, it's likely that you are in bondage to a lie and a vow in your life. I want to remind you of Psalms 34 that says, the Lord hears his people when they call on him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits have been crushed. Fathers, we stand here at your table. Each of us have dealt with our own pain in our own lives. Each of us have maybe hid because we're ashamed of something. Each of us have maybe made a vow to never do something, but Lord, we don't actually have the strength to abide by it, and it's creating this internal conflict within us. Jesus, you are our healer. Would you redeem us? Today, Lord, as we stand here at the table remembering what you did, where your body was broken, which we remember with the bread, and how your blood was poured out to bring forgiveness for us through the cup. Lord, we receive of the work of Jesus today and we just say, Jesus, we surrender to you afresh today. We want you to be our authority and our Lord and we want to live authentically in relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you for it. And so, Lord, as a sign of those things, we take the bread today, remembering your body and giving you ours today. Let's take the bread. Lord, we take the cup, which represents your blood that was poured out, and we remember that you forgave us. 
that you've healed us. And Lord, so we walk in that freedom as we remember that today. Let's take the cup. Lord, I pray for your people today. Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. You'd make your face shine on them. Why'd you be gracious to them? You lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace, God. I pray, Lord, everywhere we go this week, we would be reminded that we are radically loved by you, the real us, not the one that we pretended to be. Lord, that's where we find your love and your mercy. In the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.